0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host, Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. Daphne, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well and even better because my sister is here and she's so nervous and she's making us laugh. Twin sissy! This is my twin sister, Charlotte. Charlotte, would you like to say something? Hello. Oh my
0: so we brought so we brought Charlotte on today because she is actually a set designer.
1: Mostly because she was at our house today.
0: <laughs> also because she was at our house today and it just sounded like fun. All right, so I have two questions today. The first one is for Daphne. Daphne, what is your favorite scary movie?
1: God, that's so hard for me to answer. I have so many. I'm just going to name a few. As you know, I wouldn't this doesn't really count as a horror to me, but The Village is like my favorite movie ever.
0: I mean, it's kind of like a thrillery kind of horror.
1: True. And I love, I mean, obviously Scream, Halloween, The New Invisible Man was so good, Urban Legend. I love The Ring, to name a few.
0: I love those picks. Those are all great horror movies.
1: Even though I already know your favorite movies, what are your favorite scary movies?
0: Um, I really love like Friday the 13th. I love really campy horror movies uh, like slashers is basically my favorite horror genre. Um, So like, I don't know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, um, God, it's so hard right off the top of the head. You like a
1: lot of um, like B-horror too, I feel like. I do, yeah. Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, Sleepaway
0: Camp, Reanimator, stuff like that, like old 80s, kind of cheesy, you know, B-rated horror. So Charlotte, I have a question for you because as we mentioned, you are a set designer. So have you had any weird or strange experiences on any sets that you've worked on?
2: Yes, actually last year I worked on a couple different short horror films and one comes to mind where we were shooting in this big Victorian house outside of LA.
0: Already creepy, big Victorian house.
2: It was very, very, very spooky in there and we basically, everything in the house was on, um, was available to be able to be used for our shoot and Everything except for this one cabinet, it was like a curiosity cabinet. It was kind of like this little amour that had glass. And inside of it were a bunch of dolls. And the owner of the house said that the only thing that was off limits was the cabinet of dolls. But we don't know why.
0: And so she never told you... I'm assuming it's a she. The uh, the owner of the house. I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I'm assuming that they had a reason why you guys couldn't use anything in this curiosity cabinet. But like, what what were your theories on why?
2: Well, everyone just assumed that it was haunted because the woman of, who um, owned the home, she had lived there with her ex-husband and he had died in the house. So everyone had some weird theories about that.
0: Maybe he was like Charles Lee Ray and he put
1: his soul into like one of the dolls, like in like in Child's Play. That is really weird, though, if you're not allowed to touch all these dolls that are in a cabinet. I mean, dolls are just inherently creepy anyway, but what the fuck?
0: Yeah, like, why couldn't you use the dolls? That's my question.
2: I'm honestly not sure, but everyone did say that when they walked by the cabinet, they felt really cold.
0: Interesting. Very interesting.
2: All this doll and movie talk is making me want
1: to see Megan for the third time, which we should go see after this, because honestly, it's so good. Wait, is
0: it going to be the third or the fourth time?
1: No, I've seen it twice, but I want to see it a third time and maybe a fourth. But you need to see it a first time. And Charlotte, you need to see it a first time, too. We're going to go after this. We're going to City Walk.
0: Yeah, we're going to go to City Walk at Universal.
1: Let's do it. But first, Cursed Films. Let's
0: get to today's episode. Horror films made from the blood, sweat, and tears of actors, camera crew, and more and designed to tap into our most disturbing fears. What sacrifices are made to create some of our favorite films? Blood, sweat, and tears is a fun little phrase, but what happens when that phrase turns into reality? Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes, or during the scenes, is the real nightmare. Today we're going to give you a close-up of some of the most horrifying and tragic film sets in history. So grab a massive bucket of popcorn, some of those rad 80s 3D glasses, and a crucifix because the silver screen awaits. Camera speed, cursed film in 3, 2, 1, action.
1: Let's begin with one of the highest-grossing and most disturbing horror films of all time, The Exorcist. The film was inspired by a book, and the book was inspired by an actual exorcism, which happened in St. Louis, Missouri in 1949. Fun fact. The exorcism was performed by Pastor William Bodern on a teenage boy whose identity has never been revealed many horrifying details of the experience were altered only slightly and were included in both the book and the film. You know, like bed shaking, spitting, violent attacks, speaking in tongues. It was even reported that during one session, an image of the devil appeared on the boy's leg and the word hell appeared on his chest. The possessed teen even attempted to jump from a very high cliff while being cared for at a retreat center, but was stopped from doing so. It's wildly believed that the very real horror of this actual exorcism is responsible for a curse that caused numerous challenges and brought nine, nine people to their deaths during the filming of The Exorcist.
0: Another theory is that an actual audio recording from an exorcism was used in the film. Though the director did have such a recording in his possession, he denied using it in the film and says that he merely used it as inspiration. Written by William Peter Blatty in 1971, the book was a huge success, and Blatty was hired to write the script for the film to be directed by William Friedkin. Filming took place over a nine-month period, and during this time, a plethora of strange and unfortunate things occurred. The first was a fire that broke out at 2.30 a.m. on a Sunday and burnt down almost the entire set, all but Reagan's room which delayed film for about six weeks in order to rebuild.
1: Could you imagine like you're in the middle of filming and then you just have to literally rebuild everything and kind of start over?
0: Yeah, but also it's like the creepiness that Reagan's room was spared. The fact that, you know- I mean, yeah. (laughs) Everything burned down except for, you know, this possessed demon girl's bedroom. True, true. Very creepy. So once rebuilt, the sprinkler system malfunctioned, causing another two week delay. A second two-week delay was due to the bronze demon statue that was used in the film getting lost during shipment and ending up in Hong Kong. But beyond setbacks involving equipment, many of the strange things that occurred during filming were harmful or even deadly to the cast and crew.
1: The set of this film must have been a pretty creepy place to show up for work every day, especially after one of the carpenters cut off his thumb and a lighting technician lost his toe. But appendages weren't the only things to be lost by crew members. One of the cameramen's wives gave birth to a baby who sadly died. And the guy who was responsible for refrigerating the set also died and a janitor died as well. But the curse wasn't just limited to that particular set either because some of the film was shot in Iraq. And due to delays, filming there was pushed back from spring to summer so the cast suffered 130 degree weather fahrenheit obviously but that is fucking crazy that's
0: scolding hot
1: so between the sunstroke and dysentery nine of the 18 crew members who had traveled to iraq were forced to cease work of all the terrible things that happened to the crew of this film dysentery is definitely up there on the list of worst shit to happen like literally the worst shit
0: yeah but not only did the crew fall victim to this curse but the cast was affected as well no one was safe max von Sydow, who played father marin learned that his brother had suddenly died just as he arrived in new york to start filming then later he himself fell ill then jason miller who played father karis got news that his son was nearly killed by a motorcycle who suddenly hit him while he was walking on the beach. Then, Ellen Burstein, who was Chris McNeil, the mother of Reagan in the film, suffered a painful back injury during one of the scenes where she was struggling with Reagan, which took weeks to recover from. Vasiliki Malieros, known for her role as Father Karras' mother, died at the age of 89, just 10 months before the release of the film. And this was the only acting role that she ever did. Now, Jack McGowan, also known as Burke Dennings in the film, died from influenza only one week after his character died at the hands of the demon.
1: That's just a lot. Like this is yeah. it's, all, it's, it's too much to feel like a weird coincidence, you know? And, and, and when we're
0: talking about The Exorcist, one of the things that really creeps me out, not only, you know, all these deaths and obviously the content of this demon girl is like the aesthetic of the film. Like, all the colors, the stained glass, the churches. True. I mean, it just, it just gives you that really creepy 70s vibe. I don't know why, but... Probably because it is. Th- yeah, I mean, it is, obviously. But, <laughs> it just, but when you look at the scenes, you're just like, ah, it's
1: so eerie. Totally. But one of the most chilling stories associated with the film, The Exorcist, is that of Paul Beetson. So he was a radiology technician in both his daily life and on screen for the film. And after stabbing a reporter named Addison Verrill to death on September 14th, 1977, he called the police anonymously and reported this murder that he himself had committed. And during the call, he accidentally gave some clues away about his own identity because obviously he was trying to report it, but not say, I did it, this is me but it didn't really work. And he was taken into custody shortly after this. And during the investigation, it came to light that he had murdered six other men.
0: So he was definitely a serial killer.
1: Yeah, he was literally a serial killer. So after so much relentless tragedy taking place during filming, director William Friedkin insisted on inviting a priest Father Thomas Birmingham to exercise the set of the film. Like, that's how convinced he was that something was really wrong Yeah, I can't believe
0: it actually got to that point where he was like, "I, I need some intervention here.
1: Well, can you imagine, too, filming the movie that you're filming, The Exorcist, and the places that story goes revolving around a demon, and then you feel like you need to take the practices from the story that you're telling and use them on the very set that you're filming on. Yeah, in
0: real life.
1: Yeah, insane. So Father Birmingham did not perform a full-blown exorcism, but he did hold a blessing ceremony and everybody who was on set at the time attended. And after the ceremony was performed, there was another fire at a different set location.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about cursed films, obviously the number one film that we're going to talk about is The Exorcist because there's so, there's just so much. Like, there's a lot of other films that are cursed as well, but this one just like really takes the cake
1: and it's so, it's so well known to be cursed and the
0: curse didn't end when filming was finished either because when the exorcist made its debut in theaters there were reports of ushers becoming very ill having to quit their jobs and seek medical attention after being present for multiple showings there were also quite a few reports of theater visitors feeling very dizzy and nauseous while watching and even left the theater to vomit outside.
1: Part of that makes me think of it's because in that day, it, like, things... Nobody were, had seen anything like that? Yeah. The Exorcist is still a scary movie to, in modern day. Right. But I can't imagine how much more disturbing it was in the 70s when, like you're saying, nobody Culture had seen anything like it. Culture was different. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And now people just throw up in theaters at Terrifier too.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Uh, Which we didn't see, I, but I'm sorry. That movie franchise is, like, really well done, but I'm way too...
2: Oh, that, it's, like, it's that's on past, my list.
0: That's past my shit. Art the Clown is probably one of the scariest that's horror what I mean. characters we've seen in the last
1: decade. Like, I'm a huge horror fan, but that, like, art is too much for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, years after The Exorcist was released, another tragedy occurred. Mercedes McCambridge, who was the voice of the demon Pazuzu, also known as Captain Howdy, reportedly broke her sobriety, gargled raw eggs, and chain-smoked consistently in order to create the uh, the grotesque voice that was in the film. That's like, that's horrifying. dedication. That's serious dedication. And when you listen to her voice in the film, y- you can hardly believe that that's an actual person speaking. But that's not the only tragedy that was connected to Mercedes. See, she had a son named John Markle, And on November 16th, 1987, at the age of 45, John put on a Halloween mask and shot and killed his two daughters, his wife, and then himself. He had been caught stealing funds from the company that he worked for and transferring them into his mother's account, which he handled. It was believed that McCambridge had no idea what was going on with the funds, though John claimed that she was guilty of causing trauma throughout his life, which led to his demise. So it's kind of crazy that he had control over this bank account and he just was stealing money and, uh, and, then, eventually, end. and then eventually killed his family.
1: Well, The Exorcist certainly left its mark in the minds of viewers and all who were involved in its creation, but that wasn't the only film to suffer tragedy, of course.
2: Wait, before we move on, have you guys heard about what happened with The Conjuring?
1: Yes! This is a
2: crazy story!
0: Oh, um, uh, no. Uh, What happened with The Conjuring?
2: So during the shooting of The Conjuring, Joey King had developed a blood disorder, and apparently every day before and after set, she would have to go and get her blood taken, um, and she almost needed a blood transfusion. I want to read you the quote that she said. She said, so I had a high risk of internal bleeding and I was potentially going to need a blood transfusion. It was so dramatic. So I had to go every day before work and after work to go to the hospital to get my blood taken. Then all of a sudden when I got home, I never had a problem with my blood since.
1: Yeah, so like she had this crazy condition while she was filming this horror movie about a demon. And then as soon as filming stopped and she got home, that just completely went away and it has not been a problem. Freaky. Very, very eerie. Well, let's talk about another film that has to do with spirits whose cursed reputation still lingers today. That would be Poltergeist. A trilogy written by Steven Spielberg and directed by Toby Hooper, who also directed classics like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Funhouse, was released in 1982, with the second film releasing in 1986 and the third in 1988. The original film tells the story of a little girl who communicates with malevolent spirits through her television screen. There's a scene in the first Poltergeist where Joe Beth Williams' character, a mother named Diane Freeling, falls into a swimming pool pit filled with human remains. But what the cast didn't know is that the skeletons were actually real. So fucking creepy. So apparently it was cheaper to get their hands on actual bones than replicas and many people believe this is why the film was cursed.
0: I mean yeah, you're going to go around so fucked up. you're going around using actual bones of
1: like dead human beings. But I don't where did these bones come from? Like that I don't get that. I have no idea. I mean like, do, do I just these people imagine people not have families and they want to be buried or you know what I mean. Well, like, I just imagine that it
0: was probably like like bodies that were dedicated to or donated to science and ...somehow donated a film. Yeah, may have come from, like, a cadaver lab or something like that. And, uh, I don't know. When you work in film, it's pretty easy to get your hands on certain things, especially when you have, like, a pretty big budget, like Poltergeist had. Ugh. So then, just months after the release of the film, Dominique Dunn, who played Dana Freeling, who was the oldest daughter in the movie, was strangled by her abusive and jealous ex-boyfriend, John Thomas Sweeney on October 30th, 1982. She had broken things off with John in September of that year because he had tried to kill her, but on October 30th, he came to speak with Dominique at her home in West Hollywood. Now, at the time, she was rehearsing for a TV role with fellow actor David Packer when John Sweeney arrived at the scene. She stepped outside into the driveway to speak to John when he violently began to strangle her unconscious. John then attempted to kill himself, but police arrived just in time to arrest him. Sadly, Dominique slipped into a coma that she would never recover from because she passed away just days later on November 4th. But the shittiest part of all was that John Sweeney only served three and a half years in prison for this crime. Do you know why? I don't know why, but that's insane. You murder someone
1: and you get three and a half years. Very sad. No justice there. So the next cast member to die was Will Sampson, who played a spirit named Taylor in the second Poltergeist film. So Sampson passed away on June 3rd, 1987, at the age of 53 from a degenerative chronic condition called scleroderma. Then a third death occurred on February 1st, 1988, when Heather O'Rourke, the actress who played the little blonde girl, Carol Ann Freeling, died at the young age of just 12, while in a bowel obstruction surgery related to Crohn's disease. So sad. She died so young. So young. And before her death, Heather also worked as part of the cast of Happy Days, and it's believed that she still haunts the set where the show was filmed. The movie Ghost, featuring Patrick Swayze, was also filmed on the same set as Happy Days, and many people reported hearing a child's laughter and the sound of someone running around on the catwalks. Even more strange, Heather enjoyed playing on the catwalks while filming there, so that's probably why a lot of people associate her being the one who is, you know, making these child laughter sounds. Yeah, I hate to say haunting because obviously her death was so sad, but, but for lack of a better term, haunting the set. Years after the last Poltergeist film was released in 2009, an actor named Lou Perryman, who played a construction worker named Pugsley in the original film, was hacked to death with an axe in his Austin, Texas home by a man named Seth Christopher Tatum and Tatum had brutally beat his mother's ex-boyfriend before arriving at Perryman's house and killing him in order to steal his car. Oh, that's
0: so shitty. He wasn't even connected to this guy at all. This, this killer just wanted his car and, and hacked
1: him to death. Well, Seth did admit to the murder, which had apparently been caused by him going off of his medication and drinking heavily. Now, let's move on
0: to our next cursed film, which was released on June 25th, 1976 a film about an adopted young boy who turns out to be the Antichrist. We're talking about The Omen, kind of fitting name for a cursed film. Now, before shooting even began, in June of 1975, the son of lead actor Gregory Peck shot himself in the head. Not long after that, while flying to London that following September, the plane that Peck was traveling on was struck by lightning, and strangely enough, One of the executive producers of the film, Mace Neufeld, was flying to Los Angeles on a plane that was also struck by lightning. But what's really strange is that lightning seems to be a reoccurring theme in this curse. Because after the two planes were struck, producer Harvey Bernhard was very nearly struck by lightning himself while filming on location in Rome. Which just feels very rare. Yeah, that's like a... that... Like, lightning strikes are so rare, like, they never happen.
1: Especially to have this kind of connection to them.
0: Yeah, and then that happening, like, three or more times. So, after his near-death experience, Bernhard began carrying a crucifix whenever he was on set. He believed, quote, The devil was at work and didn't want this film to be made. But lightning wasn't the only reoccurring theme here because a third plane, which was chartered by the film but switched at the very last minute, crashed just after takeoff when it hit a flock of birds, destroying the engine and smashing into a car just off of the runway. That's some real Final Destination type stuff. And everyone in the car and aboard the plane was killed instantly that day. It seems that even someone who was involved with the film for a short period of time was susceptible to the curse. One of the scenes was shot at a zoo featuring baboons, and the animal handler who helped with the scene was mauled to death by a tiger not long after that shooting.
1: But one of the eeriest tragedies that befell the omen actually happened during the production of another movie, which we're going to get into right after this quick break. <laughs> And we're back. So special effects artist, John Richardson, who worked on The Omen and his girlfriend, Liz Moore, were struck in a head-on collision while he was working on the film, A Bridge Too Far. Tragically, Liz Moore was decapitated by a tire in this accident. But why is this so eerie? Well, I mean, obviously it's eerie because that's a horrifying thing to happen. But in the film, The Omen, there's a scene where Keith Jennings is investigating the little boy Damien's powers when he's decapitated by a sheet of glass that falls loose from a vehicle. And even more strange is that John Richardson survived the accident unscathed, but swears that just before the crash, he witnessed a sign on the side of the road that read, Omen, O-M-M-E-N, 66.6 kilometers. And by the way, they were in the Netherlands at the time, and the date was Friday the 13th.
0: Nothing good ever happens on Friday the 13th. Except for maybe getting
1: a cool, cheap tattoo.
0: Oh, I did do that, and it's really shitty.
1: And it is a Friday the 13th tattoo, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's a Jason
0: Jason Voorhees mask. I
1: I like that tattoo.
0: No, I think it sucks. I think it's cute. It's horrible, but anyway... Yet another film involving an antichrist child, and yet another film to be cursed, is the 1968 classic Rosemary's Baby.
1: It's just scary. It's extra scary. I know I kind of said this earlier, but just as we're saying these, I kind of didn't really fully realize when we are doing this research that most of these movies are based on spirits or demons. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, a lot of them are. And that makes the whole thing even creepier. So the same year that the movie was released, Rosemary's Baby, members of the cast were at a party in LA that December, when a writer named Merrick Colasco drunkenly and allegedly playfully pushed his friend, who was composer Christoph Komita, off a cliff, which ultimately led to his death. Now, Komita was only 37 years old, and before his death, Komeda spent four months in a coma, which is strangely what the witches made happen to one of the characters in the film. Now after this incident, Helasco said, quote, If Kristoff dies, I'll go along. And sure enough, he died just two months later at the age of 35. So the cause of his death is still unknown, but his friends insisted that it was not suicide. But he had attempted to take his own life twice in 1964 and had spent a lot of his time in a psychiatric hospital. So I don't know why they jumped to that conclusion that it wasn't suicide, but Seems like it may have been. Maybe it wasn't. So the film was directed by Roman Polanski and his wife, Sharon Tate, was hoping for the lead role. After the role was given to Mia Farrow instead, Sharon reportedly lingered around on set and became more and more fascinated by the occult. At one point, she said, quote, The devil is beautiful. Most people think he's ugly, but he's not. Then, on August 8th, 1969, Sharon Tate was brutally murdered along with her unborn child by the Manson family. No one knows exactly why this happened, but most people had a feeling that occult rituals practiced were involved in some way. The words Helter Skelter were written on the wall in blood, which was the title of a Beatles song, and years after Tate's murder, John Lennon was killed right across the street from where Rosemary's Baby was filmed. Conspiracy theorists. Eat your heart out. And Char, you actually did a shoot at the Cielo Drive house, which was Sharon Tate's house.
2: Yeah, a couple years ago I did a video shoot there, and um, it was really, really, really cool to be up on Cielo Drive. But apparently the house has since been renovated, and none of the original features are there.
0: Interesting. And weren't you saying that, uh, who owns the house now?
2: Oh, it's actually owned by the guy who started the show Full House.
0: Interesting.
2: Keith and I were actually looking at buying a house.
1: uh, Is it Cielo or Cielo but do you know how to Cielo, it? Cielo Drive. Cielo Drive. We were, you sent me a Zillow link the other day. I'm I like, did. It's a little too close for cover. That was a beautiful house. No, though. it's
0: funny because, yeah, I was looking at houses on Zillow and I was like, oh, man, this house is really beautiful. And I didn't even make the connection that it was on Cielo Drive. It's like, uh, I'm not trying to be the neighbor to a haunted house.
2: I will say the view was beautiful and they had a bar in the house, which was really cool.
0: That is pretty cool. So th- there wasn't any like 1970s features or anything like that. They didn't try to keep it like, uh, what's the what's the word for it like modern
2: like retro mid-century modern
0: yeah like mid-century modern
2: uh no not really it was it was pretty um it was pretty it was a pretty standard mansion (laughs)
1: anyway thank you charlotte
0: thanks for sharing char
1: all right so now so far we've talked about a bunch of cursed horror films which makes a lot of sense given the content but what about films that aren't within the horror genre Well, in 1939, director Victor Fleming released the hit musical fantasy film, The Wizard of Oz. But before its release, some very strange things occurred. Now, first, the man who was originally hired to play the role of the Tin Man, Buddy Ebsen, became violently ill when makeup was applied to his face, and he experienced shortness of breath and body aches and nearly died. Culprit was the pure aluminum dust that the makeup was made of that caused a severe allergic reaction. But the studio didn't really learn from their mistake because they brought on Jack Haley to play the role who ended up with an eye infection, again, due to the makeup.
0: They were just really screwing up makeup back then. They're like-
1: They're like,
0: let's just just use some lead and asbestos in this makeup.
1: Well, the actress who played the Wicked Witch of the West, Margaret Hamilton, was badly burned during a scene in Munchkinland, but even more bizarre is that after she refused to do scenes involving fire and fireworks, her stunt double was burned in another scene.
0: So they just really did not learn their lesson. What's even more tragic is how the cast was treated by
1: MGM, especially the lead of the film, Judy Garland, who played Dorothy. Well, Judy just has such a tragic story anyway. I just feel so bad for her and she was so amazing, but she was treated horribly in life.
0: Very horribly. And those things included that she was slapped by the director for giggling during a scene They gave her pills, which included amphetamines and barbiturates, and even kept her on a strict diet of cigarettes and coffee so that she could, quote, maintain her weight.
1: Charlotte has such a shocked face.
2: Isn't that fucked up? She does. Isn't that so screwed up? That's disgusting. Men are horrible. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? You just said the director slapped her in the face because she giggled.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: yeah no. Uh, he's, I mean, that man I mean, is horrible. I mean, that man is a horrible person.
1: But also, I think Charlotte just means like being able to get away with that kind of thing at that time. Sure, You know, yeah. like, uh, man.
0: Well, we're going to talk about another shitty man. So this fuckhead who played the scarecrow, Roy Bolger, was heard behind scenes stating, quote, she wasn't exactly pretty, just plump. That's so rude. That's extremely and, rude. Yeah, and keep in mind... Judy Garland was only 16 years old during the filming of The Wizard of Oz. So after completing the filming of the movie, Judy Garland went on to struggle with drug addiction and depression, attempting to take her life several times before tragically overdosing on June 22, 1969 at the age of 47. It was also later revealed that some of the munchkins on set had sexually assaulted Judy during filming. Now, when I was a teen, I remember uh, everybody was talking about how you should get high and play the album Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd with the uh, Wizard of Oz because they supposedly were synchronized perfectly. Yes,
1: I've heard that too.
0: Yeah, which isn't really a curse, but it is kind of an interesting notion. So if you've done this, please let us know because I've never actually done that.
1: One of the most interesting cursed films that happens to not be horror actually was never made, and it's probably for good reason. It involves a plethora of comedic heavy hitters, including Chris Farley, John Belushi, Sam Kinison, John Candy, and Phil Hartman. The film was called The Incomparable Atouk, which is a story about an Inuit poet from Alaska who ends up in New York as basically a fish out of water. Originally a book, Atouk was adapted into a screenplay, and the first actor to be attached to the film was John Belushi. He signed on as the lead role in 1982, but tragically passed away just months later from a speedball overdose on March 5th of that year at the age of 33. The next actor and comedian to sign on to the film was Sam Kinison, who was offered the role in 1986, and production started in 1988.
0: And I just want to say, if you don't know who Sam Kinison is... He was a very very popular comedian in the 80s and he was kind of a part of like the hair metal scene he was very very loud and he screamed a
1: lot during his sets well during filming it was actually temporarily halted due to a revision of the script but continued in 1992 so like four years later but that year tragically sam kinnison would be killed in a head-on collision in california at the age of 38 But the curse
0: obviously did not end there, because in 1994, John Candy was approached and offered the role and was apparently really excited about being involved. But in March of that year, he too would pass away while working on a film in Mexico. He died on March 4th due to a heart attack at the age of 43. So after so many deaths in the production that was hindered for over a decade, Chris Farley joined the cast in 1997. He was intrigued because his idol John Belushi had once been involved in the film, but sadly, just a few months later, Farley would die on December 18th of that year. God, that's just too, it's too weird. Yeah, and even more strange is that he died at 33, the same age as John Belushi, but also the same way that John Belushi died, which was, again, a speedball overdose. Then finally, comedian Phil Hartman was introduced to the script, five months after Chris Farley passed away. But on May 27, 1998, Phil was murdered by his own wife in their home after he threatened to leave her if she continued her drug addiction. He was just 49 years old. And many people have attributed these comedic geniuses' deaths to the role of a toque, but scriptwriter Todd Carroll dismissed the rumors of a curse in 1999. I beg to differ. Yeah, so after this, the film attracted the interest of actors such as Will Ferrell, Jack Black, and John Goodman. But to this day, it has still never been made.
1: Like I said, probably for the best. And I don't know about you guys, but I am a huge fan of The Twilight Zone. So let's talk about it. I mean, with 156 episodes, the Strange and Mysterious series grossed over $3.4 billion over its years of filming. So naturally, a movie had to be made. In 1982, famous director John Landis, responsible for films like American Werewolf in London and Spies Like Us, jumped at the opportunity to adapt the series into a full feature. But tragically, an error on set would end up killing a few of the main actors. In July of that year, Landis was filming a shot that included explosives depicting a scene from the Vietnam War. But the only thing was that the calculations were off. So when the explosives were set off, A helicopter flying above the scene, carrying actor Vic Moreau and child actors, Renee Shin Chen and Micah Din Lee, were struck by flying debris and crashed below into a river, killing everyone on board. And John Landis was actually charged with involuntary manslaughter for this, but after nine days of deliberation, he was acquitted of charges in 1987. And speaking of war scenes, actor John Eric Hexum, who is working on the TV show Cover Up, again about the Vietnam War, accidentally killed himself during a Russian roulette scene in 1984. He loaded the gun with three empty cartridges and two gunpowder-filled blanks and pulled the trigger.
0: Yeah, and sadly, he did pass away from that, and it's it's just kind of crazy that they would even have a loaded a real loaded gun on set like that. Like, nowadays, you can't like, you can imagine that they would take proper steps in safety... It
1: still happens, as we know.
0: Yeah, but it still happens. So, we've talked a lot about some of the most cursed film sets in history. And a lot of changes have been made to ensure the safety of actors and crew members alike. But there's another piece to creating a film that we haven't discussed yet. And that's actually going to see the film in theaters. One theater that tops the list of one of the most haunted is that of L.A.'s silent movie theater located on Fairfax Avenue. The theater opened its doors in 1942 and exclusively played silent films, and they carried on that tradition for decades. But in 1997, the owner, a man named Lawrence Austin, who was 74 years old at the time, was murdered in the lobby of the silent theater. A gunman, later identified as 21-year-old Christian Gonzalez, walked into the lobby in January of 1997 and asked to speak with the manager. And when Lawrence Austin entered the lobby, Gonzalez opened fire, killing Lawrence, and then attempted to kill the woman that was at the concession stand, but she ended up surviving. But wait, the plot thickens, because investigators were able to determine that the killer, Christian Gonzalez, was actually a hired hitman. So, who hired Gonzalez to kill Lawrence Austin? Well, it just so happened to be the projectionist of the silent theater, 27-year-old James Van Sickle, who also happened to be Lawrence Austin's lover. That's like a movie in itself. That's what I'm saying. See, Lawrence was a pretty wealthy man, and James the projectionist was actually the sole beneficiary to Lawrence's estate that was worth over a million dollars. So instead of waiting for his lover to pass of natural causes, greedy dickhole van sickle decided to hire someone to kill lawrence austin instead and again if this doesn't sound like the plot of a movie i don't really know what does
1: well one of the most disturbing events in film actually has to do with not only the film itself but also the theater in which it played well that's if you believe the stories in 2018 a film titled Antrum was released which follows the story apparently from the 1970s of young siblings who are saddened by the loss of their family dog so they decide to dig a hole to hell to bring back the dog's spirit. It's shot as a found footage film similar to the Blair Witch Project but the creators of the film warn its viewers that watching it may result in a curse from the devil. Apparently, it's like a documentary about a cursed film and speaks of the horrors of a theater in Hungary that burnt to the ground in 1988, killing 56 moviegoers during a screening. And then in a separate theater incident, an unexplained explosion killed another 30 viewers. I mean, if
0: this was their idea of uh, advertising, they did a really good job.
1: Well, one person reviewed the film saying, quote, For my horror buddies, have I got one for you. I finally found a film that scared me and gave me nightmares. Not gory, no blood, pure psychological mind twisting. Another viewer said, quote, So I just finished Antrim. I'm not dead, but I may have unleashed something in the house. But good news, if you live in the U.S., you can watch it on Amazon Prime. I will not be doing that.
0: So strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that if you want to make it big in film, it's best to avoid plots about an antichrist devil child. It's a no-go for film, but just might make a great name for a band. We also learned just how drastically film has changed over the years. I mean, who in their right mind thought that slapping, drugging, and starving a teen was the recipe for success? May the director of Oz play patty cake with his face for eternity. And last but not least, we learned that you need to just stop it. Just don't. You quit it right now. Take the screenplay for a toque, put it in a rocket ship, and blast that shit into space and pray that the alien version of comedians
1: never find it. Today's horror tip comes from the genre this time, and it's the best advice we can give you. Watch more horror films. Oh, and go see movies in theaters, please.
0: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Dark Parts.
1: Yes,
2: thank you guys so much. Thank you, Charlotte, for being here. What'd you think? It's been really fun to learn all of these facts, and I guess it just really goes to show that when you're watching some of your favorite movies, you have no idea what went down during the filming.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is pretty crazy to think about everything that goes into creating a film I'm glad that you guys listened to this episode. Hopefully you liked it. We are huge movie buffs, so this has been on my list for a long time, doing cursed films, because I just wanted to know what kind of spooky film creations were out there.
1: Now let's go see see Megan.
0: Yeah, as soon as we're done with this, we're going to head to Universal. We're going to go see Megan, get some food. It's going to be a great time. So thank you so much to everybody for listening to this episode. Also, please make sure that you share the show Go give us a follow on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. All right, guys, we'll see you next
1: time. In the dark parts.